Well, boy, has a world changed since my last episode got published. And it's been killing me not to, to publish anything, not to put anything out there over these last several weeks. And I apologize for that. But the good news is uh, we have moved into the new house. That's what I've been doing. I've been working at work and I've been working trying to get that house done so that we can sort of get back to some level of normal in our family life. And we have moved in. It's not 100% done, but we're getting pretty close and, and we're excited to be in and, and to be closing the book on that chapter of our life. And so I think moving forward, these episodes will be much more frequent and much more regular. And I'm excited about that because I like doing these. And watching what has happened in the world these last, I don't know, 30, 45 days, however long it's been, it's really been eating at me that I can't, or I guess I could, but that I haven't come out and shared some thoughts about it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but there's this trend that I've been noticing in my business life. I mean, really, since I started, I've been doing what I do, commercial real estate, for almost 13 years. And it was very interesting after the Great Recession, which is pretty much when I started, to watch the centralization, if you will, the institutionalization of the commercial real estate world. And as things have progressed, as time has gone on, what we've seen, what I've seen, is I've seen that very same trend, and I'm sure you have as well, actually take place in almost every industry. And now with the pandemic that we're in and with the censorship and with all of the craziness that we are experiencing, what is really driving it? What is the force behind it? What is the, the, the thing that, that lurks behind all of it that is the most dangerous? Well, I think that what is so dangerous about what we are seeing right now is the centralization of all of the world the centralization of global power, the centralization of money, the centralization of information, and the fact that we as a society don't seem to be able to understand and articulate and be aware of the dangers behind centralization is truly mind-blowing to me. I mean, if you think about, when I think about America and, and how America was founded and why it was started, so you, you think about, I don't know, just about every single civilization throughout history that we know of. There were a few exceptions, but ultimately those exceptions ended where we're headed, which was most civilizations had centralized power, right? They had a monarchy. They had one person or one family, right? One group of people that was in charge of ruling their society, their civilization, right? And, and so what did you have in that situation or in those situations? You had the peasants, right? The, the lowly people. And then you had the elites. You had the people of power. And the people of power always did whatever they could to keep the people who had no power without power. I mean, that's how it worked, like forever. And then there were some democratic societies that came along and said, you know what? We're going to change that. We're going to uh, give the people power. And those things would work for some period of time until those those institutions would become corrupted and centralization would, would become centralized, I guess, and then civilization would fail. And so you look at America and the constitution and the, the way that the federalist society was created was so brilliant because what was it? It was the decentralization of power. So you had a federal government, the, the 
vision for the federal government was that it would be very limited and it would only participate in certain things, right? And then you, excuse me, and then you had the state governments and then you had the counties and then you had the cities. And the whole point was that the founding fathers, what they, what they wanted, what they saw, what the vision for this country was, where they, where they could see that it would work greatest, was if local governments, right? The people that you live with, that you talk to, that you know, that you see, if those folks were really the ones doing the, the I don't wanna say ruling, but the lawmaking, right? making the rules for the local community because those are the people that know each other. Very separate, very much separate with the, with the exception of working inside the bounds of the constitution, very separate from the federal government, from that centralized institutional power, right? And it worked really well for a really long time. Well, then there were laws passed, there were regulations created. Now we find ourselves fast forwarding to today where it doesn't look like that almost at all. It, what was so decentralized, the first true constitutional example of decentralization of power, taking power from the few and putting it in the hands of the many to be ruled and, re ruled and regulated at the local level where, where the people collectively had the power. That's what the whole point was. That's how it was set up. And here now we find ourselves on the brink of the polar opposite. And I don't know about you folks, but my life surely isn't getting any better. My, my freedom isn't growing and expanding. It's not, it's getting, I'm getting less free. I'm becoming more restrained and restricted as are you. And you look at it and you say, what is going on there? And it's the centralization of power. It's the centralization of information. Listen, when you have, I don't know, five media companies that can control all of the cable news that you watch, that's a problem. That's centralization. That's why YouTube, right? Or some of these other video streaming or video uh, channels, whatever you want to call them, have been so valuable because people could go outside of those centralized sources of information, and they could find alternative information, objective information, or at least less subjective information. They could think for themselves, make decisions for themselves, but then you have this new thing where if those channels like YouTube don't like what you're saying, then they'll censor you. And here we have centralization of internet power. Same with Facebook, Twitter, whatever it might be. And so anytime that you see in human history, the centralization of power, what ultimately comes of the centralization of said power is less freedom and more tyranny for everyone. Everyone that isn't in elite. And that's what we're seeing. And I just cannot believe that we cannot see that and that we are not standing up against that, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or you're left or you're right or whatever, the reality is, is we should all be standing against the centralization of power. And now back to where I started, I think that the domino that brings the whole house down, if, if I can use that analogy, is the centralization of money. Now, we could argue that we've had the centralization of money since the Federal Reserve was created, and, and to a large degree, that is true. However, the centralization of money is taking place in a way that, that has never, ever existed before, and that's through digital currencies. The, the digital yuan, the Fed coin, these, these central banks are going to create, they are create, they have created, they are going to start rolling out digital currencies 
where through your phone, they'll have the ability to give you more, take some away, force you to spend it, create negative interest rates if you're not spending it to deteriorate it. The centralization of money is the pinnacle of the centralization of power. We are watching it. And you know what? It's crazy to me because say what you want about the Bible, say what you want about what the History Channel has told you about how it was created or, or whatever it might be. And the re but the reality is, is we are literally watching everything that it, it talks about, it says about sort of the end of days. We're literally watching it happen in our lifetimes. We're watching not necessarily a one world government in the sense that it's ruled by one person, but we are watching a one world government in the sense that like the G7, the summit, they just came together and they're going to create a standardized world, at least the, the top seven countries in the world, the top seven economies in the world, they're going to create a centralized, a standardized corporate tax rate, at least the minimum. That's the whole world for the first time ever coming together and say, we're going to band together to create monetary policy, right? at least from a tax standpoint. And then you have the IMF. You have all these things happening where, where you're, you're, they're coming together. And then you have vaccine passports. You have the world coming together to try and figure out how do they want to handle making sure that you've gotten a vaccination or whatever it might be, or that you can do this or that you can't do that, or you can spend money here. You look at China's social score. Folks, all the groundwork is being laid. It's happening in our lifetimes. What is the groundwork? It's the centralization of power. It's a centralization for the first time in human history on a world scale of power and policy. And so what, what can we do about it? I mean, that's the thing that I've spent so much of my mental energy thinking about is it's like, I don't just want to be one of those people that sits around and complains about all these things all the time. So what the heck do we do about it? Well, I think the first thing is we have to do what I'm doing right now, which is we have to stand up and say, you know what? We're not okay with the centralization of power. We're not okay with the centralization of information. We're not okay being told by a few people what we have to think, believe, see, or hear. What we're, what we're okay with on, on the flip side is we're okay with the free flow of information. We're okay with using our own personal agency to make logical and intelligent decisions based on all the information. We gotta stand up. We gotta start getting in the streets. I mean, like I think about Martin Luther King and I think of the civil rights movement and, and these folks were willing to be persecuted to go out there and to stand for something and to do it peacefully. That's what we need to start doing because I'm telling you, this story, if we don't start doing that, is not going to end very well. And people can think, oh, you're an alarmist. This is crazy. It's not that bad. I don't know what to tell you other than like read some history. Look at what they did in the Soviet Union. Look at what they did in Mao's China. We're seeing several of the same things start to take place right here in America. And you know what? Like, here's the kicker. As Americans, have you ever heard of the, the saying, the slogan, land of the free, home of the brave? Like, that's what we were known as. Not anymore. Like, now we're the land of the, the halfway free and the home of the scared. I look at the last two years of, of, of my life, or a year and a half, whatever this has been going on for, and I go, you know, if I could pick a word, one word, that seems to summarize the, the collective American oh, attitude, it's fearful. Fear not bravery, not courage, 
And that's not who I think that we are. That's certainly not who I want to be. I think that America, what America was founded, like think about it. All those years ago, people getting on a boat, not knowing what, the, what they were going to be met with when they landed on the other side of the water. Bravery. And yes, I understand that we didn't do everything perfect. There were a lot of things that could be done better, that we've been working to make better, that we've in a large part done better. Still not perfect, still working on it. But man, like it was bravery and courage. And, and I know that there are Americans, lots of us, that still want to live out those virtues, those values. But boy, if we're gonna do it, now's the time. Now's the time to stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of my neighbor because they're not vaccinated. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to look at the science and the data and know that even if they're not vaccinated, hey, if you're vaccinated, you should be safe if the vaccine works. And that life comes with risk. But there is like collectively as a civilization, there's a lot less risk in not being afraid of your neighbor than there is of being afraid of your neighbor. Right? Like we want to, if we want to end up in tribes, afraid of our neighbors, conflict will ensue. That's very dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous. You know, what's not so dangerous, having some bravery and courage, not being afraid of your neighbor, reaching your hand across the aisle, caring about them, whether they've been vaccinated or not, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican and being a good person. We need to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. We don't need to be the land of the slaves and the home of the weak and the fearful. And it starts like in every single one of our hearts, in every single one of our minds. And I think, listen, if, if you've been, if you're red pilled out there, right, going to the matrix, if you didn't take the blue pill, well, it's time we got to start saying something. We got to stand up. And, and it's not about Man, it's not about like, hey, everything I believe and think is right. It's just about, I mean, I think we're at this point in America where it's, we either believe in freedom and liberty and justice, or we don't. And if we believe in freedom and liberty and justice, then we need to stand together and we need to proclaim that. And we need to do it loud and fast and hard. Because I don't know, like I, I look around and I go, well, we're less free. We have less liberty and we certainly have less justice. I mean, we let people run around and do whatever they want. Like there's justice for some, the people who obey the laws. <laughs> We're the ones who still get, you know, parking tickets when the homeless encampment right there, there's like the RVs right behind our car and they don't get the parking tickets. Like there's justice for some people, but not all people. And it's supposed to be freedom, liberty, freedom, liberty, and justice for all. We, we've got to find a way to get back to that. And I, here's the thing. I'm going to circle back to money again. Guys, it all comes down to money. How do we make this change? We affect corporate earnings by 10%. 10%. If you and I and us and we come together and we actually do something and we can affect the bottom line of these huge corporations by even just 10%, it will change things. Because unfortunately, we live in a world, right? We live in a world that's driven by greed and money. And I don't care if you're a leftist or a rightist or a whateverist. The reality is, is it's what, no matter what you are, the collective, I'm not saying every individual here, but the collective driver of this country, of this economy, of this world is money. 
That's it. And, and the, the reason I even decided to make this video is, is going back to commercial real estate, here's what I see. I see people sitting there complaining about and fighting over affordable housing and affordable housing and affordable housing. And I was just, you know, I just was interviewed for a news article the other day about, well, should we start making developers pay into affordable housing funds when they want to build new market rate units, just like they do in Seattle and San Francisco and New York City and Los Angeles. And I say, how'd that work there? Those are the most unaffordable places to live in the entire country. Why the hell would we copy what they did when what they did doesn't work? Why do we keep doing that? And it's because we have people making policy decisions who don't understand how the, the whole thing even works. And so what do we get as a result? We get less small people, and I don't mean like in stature, I mean less non-rich, non-super powerful people of able to develop housing or own houses. And we have more big, huge companies with huge economies of scale, with bigger margins and more horsepower, smashing down the little guy. And I've watched it happen, like think about this. If you had $10 million to invest, you can probably generate a much higher return than if you had $100 million or a billion or 100 billion or 300 billion. And so the problem here is what we do is we continue to create policies that make it harder to have $10 million to invest because everybody gave their 10 million to the fund that now has 100 billion. And so the 100 billion is going to, to reduce the yield, right? The return on the investment because it's so much more money in comparison to the 10 million. But in, in exchange, now you have, and this is what we see in our business. Like, listen, when I started, if you had a 120 unit apartment complex, there was a decent chance that that thing was built or owned by some consortium of local people. Might've cost you 13, $14 million. Okay, 12 years later, the same exact size property might cost you $30 million to build and is probably developed, not always, maybe I should say, it will be developed locally by a investment group, but when it sells and it sells for 40 million, almost, I can almost guarantee you it will be bought by some sort of a fund whether it's a pension fund or a private equity fund, it's some sort of a fund, it's big time money, and it's, institution, it's institutionalizing real estate assets in every community all around the country by fewer and fewer players year after year until little guys like me don't own very much and big guys like them own everything. And then they blame little guys like me and the big guys like them for all the problems. But the reality is the only reason that exists, the only reason that scenario exists is because of the policies that were put forth. I'll give you a great example. You might've read, you might've heard about a private equity fund that went down to Texas and they bought an entire community. The, I think it was DR Horton or one of these big time house, housing developers. They built like a whole planned community. And instead of selling those houses one by one, they put the whole thing on the block, on the, on the sale, on the offering block for sale and a huge fund came in and they bought it and they paid like 30 to 50% over what market was. And people cannot understand how that happens. Well, I'll tell you, it's very simple. If you or I wanna go buy something like a house, we're gonna pay an interest rate. And let's say the interest rate is 3% right now. Well, that means that we have to adjust, cause I always say you don't buy the house, you buy the payment, right? 
So we have to figure out what's the payment going to be when I'm paying 3% in interest. And let's say that hypothetically we pay a price where the payment is $2,000 a month. But then let's say this other guy or this fund can come in and let's say they can borrow money, not at 3%, but at 1%. Well, guess what? If you're borrowing at 1% instead of 3%, you can pay a lot more for the same house and have the payment be the same, right? Well, these guys, because they're big and they have access to big time capital, they can borrow money at a substantially lower rate than you or I, which means they can pay a higher price, which is why prices keep going up. That's why when I talk to the reporter about the affordable housing fund and all this stuff, one of the things I keep saying to people is this. At a local level, we can get rid of all the regulations, all the impact fees, all that. We, we should, by the way, maybe not all, but a lot. And we can reduce the barrier to housing development substantially, which ultimately will bring down price. But as long as we have this stupid, ridiculous, idiotic federal monetary policy where money is free, it won't matter. Because when money is free, when you can borrow money at 1%, guess what happens? Prices just keep going up and up and up and up and up because you have more and more dollars chasing fewer and fewer product. And when you're not producing enough product in the first place, right? But you're just creating more and more money for the lack of product that you already have. The prices keep skyrocketing. That's why folks, if you're watching what's going on and you're like, I did a video, I don't know, a month, two months, three months ago about inflation. It's coming, it's coming and it's here. And you've probably noticed it. And if you're noticing it and you're like, what the hell is going on? This is what's going on. It's exactly what I said was going to happen. It's exactly what everybody has been saying is going to happen. When you create money out of thin air, and you give it to people who are not producing, but instead are consuming. You have more dollars trying to consume, not enough goods, and the price goes sky high. And that's what we've been experiencing. And if they don't fix that, if money is free, if you can borrow money for free, it's gonna keep going up and up and up and rich people are gonna get richer and richer and there's gonna be more consolidation of power and wealth. And then on the flip side, more consolidation of power in the information space and the internet space, and folks, I, that doesn't work very good. And I hope, I hope that people like me, or I don't know, like hopefully you, people will go out there and start saying something about it and, and start helping to wake people up to what is happening. This is not something where like the guy that owns a business down the street from you that has a nice house and makes a good living is the bad guy. He's not the bad guy, she's not the bad guy. You're probably not the bad guy either. The bad guy is the collective force and power that took the dream of America, which was decentralization, small government run by lots of people, like, like the people make the government, but the government is small. That was the, the vision, decentralization. States have power, cities have power, counties have power, not the federal government. That was the vision. Same with money, that's the vision. And we've bastardized that. We've got it all backwards and we need to figure out a way. We need to stand up to fight to bring it back, right? And I don't know. I've read my Bible. I know how the story ends. I don't know if fighting back is going to actually do anything. I don't. But I would say that if you look through history, fighting back always did something. It did. It does. And so I'm not just going to stand around and, and watch it happen and watch my neighbors get hosed and watch me get hosed. Meanwhile, Bill Gates keeps getting richer. Mark Zuckerberg keeps getting richer. Jeff Bezos keeps getting richer. 
I mean, Elon Musk keeps getting richer. They control more and more and more, and we control less and less and less. And I'm just going to keep doing this, and I'm going to stand up and say, that's crazy. That's not what this country is about. That's not how we lead the world in showing that we want to be a free people. We want less centralization. So going back to what can we do? Well, first, we can stand up. Second, we got to vote with our dollars and our feet. We have to, and I got to do a better job of it. It's hard to say, like, I'm not going to buy things on Amazon. But if we want to make a dent, if we want to change that 10%, I'm not saying, and this is maybe where my opinion is different than other people. I'm not saying that you don't buy anything on Amazon. I'm saying you buy less things. You buy more things at the local store with, with, by, from people you know who think like you. And I'm not saying like groupthink. I'm saying they think this way, where they have a small local business and they're trying to succeed. And they're trying to provide jobs in their community with people where you actually know who's in charge, right? And they live next to you. We got to buy more from them and less from these other people. And if we can hit their corporate earnings, they will start to change things. They will start to change their approach and we've got to do it. And the, and the next thing, which I've done a video on before or an episode on before, which I'm still sort of out up in the air on is, I mean, you got to, you, you got to start looking at things like Bitcoin. Right, because if we get to the point, which we will, where there is a true digital currency that is truly regulated, like at a moment's notice by the Fed or by the government, you have to have alternative sources of transactional, barterable currency. And Bitcoin, as far as all the research I've done, Bitcoin, did I call it Bitcoin? Bitcoin, whatever I said, it's Bitcoin. Uh, that is as far as I can tell, the only truly decentralized digital currency. And so I think that there's potentially, I'm not telling you what to do or not do. I, I have not bought any Bitcoin, but it's certainly something that's becoming more appealing from just a privacy standpoint than a lot of the other options. Other options are gold and silver, precious metals, copper, right? Like, look at what's happening. The more that they print funny money, eventually we're going to get to the point where people will have less faith and certainly less purchasing power with the currency that we have now, the U.S. dollar. And so as inflation continues to happen, as the devaluation of that dollar continues, people eventually, they haven't done it yet, but institutional money, these big time players will eventually go, oh my gosh, we need to diversify. And the minute that they pull the trigger, on gold, silver, copper, whatever it's going to be, the prices are going to go. It will become hard. It's already like, listen, if you try, I've been stocking up on, on some coins, which I've never done in my life until the last several months because I've been watching what's going on. You almost can't get gold or silver right now, physical. You almost can't get it. Well, why is that? Because people see the writing on the wall. And so my point in all of that is things that we can do to get outside of the system is what we should be doing. Because if you wait too long and things get bad enough, it'll be too late. It will be very difficult, very challenging. I think the other things which, you know, we're talking about at our place that we just moved into is having a garden, you know, having access to water. And I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not a prepper. I'm not any of that. But, but yeah, I mean, certainly if things continue to get more and more expensive and unrest grows, you want to be prepared. Right? You want to have some emergency food, some uh, a, a water filter. You want to have these kinds of things. Uh, but more than all of that, I think it's use your voice. 
Like, what, what makes us made in God's image? I've said this before. I think what makes us made in God's, God's image is we have a brain. We have the ability to speak, to, to create things, right? That's what makes us different than animals. That's what makes us like God in his image. Is this ability to, to think and to process and to create. And if you look through all of history at the people who, who we look back on with great admiration, almost all of them were persecuted for the things they thought and said. Almost all of them, right? Like all throughout history, the people who we think the high, highest of were persecuted because of their thoughts and their words and, of course, their actions. Probably it's not easy for anyone to be persecuted for their thoughts, their words, and their actions, but it's worth it in the end. That's why I'm doing this. I know when I started, it was like I had all these things I thought I was going to talk about, and here I am pretty much talking about politics and about world events in the news, and, and there's this part of me that's like, I mean, is that really what I want to be doing? Is that really what I want to be talking about? And I'm going, I don't know what else to talk about. I don't know how people are like going to football games and basketball games and playing video games and acting like the world is just fine. I, I don't, I can't do that. Because I'm looking around going, the, the world is not fine. And we need some people to stand up and say the world is not fine. And please stop watching CNN. And please stop watching Fox News. And please stop watching MSNBC. And please start finding information some other places. Please go on, like, go on YouTube and find some other channels, some people who are willing to be a little bit more objective that aren't, you know, regulated in what they can and can't say by their editor or their producer or whatever. Start finding real, authentic information. And the more that we can do that, the more people that are willing to do that, the better. And another tip, which I should have said a long time ago, is It'll be hard at first, and if you're not already doing it, but if you, already are, if you are already doing it, you know this. But if you haven't started doing this, there's a little playback speed uh, toggle, whether it's a podcast or a video that you're watching, where you can increase the playback speed from one times normal speed, let's say, to like two and a half times. Start with going from one to like one and a half, and you can get through things that are like this that are maybe a little longer, substantially faster. Maybe get up to... 1.75, maybe even 2, whatever it might be. I heard Jordan Peterson listens to things at like 2.6. It's a little fast for me still, but, but like you don't have, like you might see a video and it's two hours long and you think, gosh, it sounds really interesting, but I don't want to wait two hours. Well, if you play it at two times speed, you just cut it in half. You can stay, you can watch it in an hour, which is reasonable. It's manageable. So that's just a little tip because I think the more that we can get people, people around us to find helpful, logical, challenging information to start having dialogues, to start having conversations, the better. The, the other thing is don't be afraid of your neighbor. I mean, if you're a mask wearer and, and you are all about wearing a mask, that's fine. I don't really care. But man, I, I, would, I would just hope that you will fight back the urge to be afraid of your neighbor. I mean, the Bible has like, it's debatable. I've done a search. Some people say 365 references to do not fear, one for every day. Maybe that's true. Some other people say it's like 180 or whatever. doesn't matter. The reality is, is probably the most consistent command in the Bible is do not fear. And yet I look around America, I look at the American church, I look at the American non-church, and all I see 
not all, a lot of what I see is fear. I'm afraid of my neighbor. I'm afraid of my boss. I'm afraid of my workers. I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of whatever. Stop being afraid. We got to stop being afraid. We got to be brave. We're the, we're the home of the brave. We got to live up to that. You know, there's a lot of crazy craziness going on in, in re regards to and, and in re or related to America and our history. And all I would say is, at least at this point, uh, all I'll say at this point is there's an American ideal that I think the founders were putting out into the world. And our job is to try and live up to that ideal. I think part of that ideal is that it was, it was uh, the vision was the land of the free and the home of the brave. Let's live up to that. Let's make that happen. Let's show the rest of the world that you can live in a free society, even if it's gotten to the point where it's not very free, you can make it free again. You can live in a place where you're not afraid of everything, where you're not afraid of most anything, but instead you have bravery and courage. Because I guarantee you, like, bravery and courage is going to get us collectively a whole heck of a lot farther than cowardice and fear. And so that's what I wanted to share today. I, want, I wanted to share that we need to fight back against centralization. We need to wake up. We need to see that nothing good in all of human history, like nothing good has come from centralization. And I always like to interweave my faith into these. Hopefully, hopefully that's a positive for you as well. But I think about the gospel, right? So Jesus said, I came to set men free, right? It's about freedom. And part of, I think, the reason why, as I look into the history of America, why, why we ended up where we did was because the founding fathers saw that there was this there was this picture, there was this theme of freedom in the New Testament. And it was like, yes, men, women, we were created to be free. We were created equally in God's image. We were created with different, excuse me, different gifts and talents. How do we set up a, a civilization, a society that lives in the reality of that? And I think as it relates to centralization, so in the Old Testament, right, if you wanted to talk to God, you had to go through a priest. And the high priest, for instance, only once a year could, could enter into what was called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God's presence sat, once a year. And if he wasn't ceremonial, ceremonially clean, he could drop dead in there because God's presence was so heavy and the requirement was so high. And that's the centralization of faith, where it was centralized through a priest and God. And then Jesus came and he said, I came to set you free. I'm going to decentralize all of this. And when I die and when I rise, after I rise, you will be able to go straight to God the Father, straight into the Holy of Holies, as they call it. You will be able to speak to the Father through your prayer. It's the picture of decentralization, of religion, of faith, of spirituality. And, and what was the result? It was the freedom from the law. It was the freedom from the bondage. It was the freedom from the centralization. That was the picture. That is the picture of Christianity. That you don't have to go through an intermediary. You don't have to be in this rigid, centralized system. You get to live decentralized, free. You get to thrive, and be who you are, and be who God created you to be, free from centralized power, free from centralized authority. Folks, 
That was the vision for America. That we in our own personal bodies, in our own communities, could be free from tyranny. We could have liberty. That's what we fight for. That's what we need to fight for. We can, we can argue and debate about all these other things later. But I think, at least as I see it, that if we can get back to the message of the gospel and of what freedom looks like, and how do we apply that in our own communities? We can make a difference. We can make a change. And you know what? God's timing is perfect. I don't know what his timing is here. I don't know what he's doing or where he's going. But what I do know is that if I love my neighbor, you know, like we keep hearing, I keep saying this, but you keep hearing people say, well, if, if you loved your neighbor, you would get the vaccine or you would do this or if you, you would do this. And I'm not going to debate all that right now. But what I would say is that if I really love my neighbor and if you really love your neighbor, what we should be doing is we, we should be willing to spread the news when we know that there are things that are going to harm our neighbor in terms of policies, centralization, uh, censorship, those things that throughout history in the past we can show and we have seen that these things don't ever lead to anything good. In fact, they lead to like, I don't know, 100 million people dying in the 20th century. That's what communism led to. That's what fascism led to. What are those two? I, I see this all the time to people who I know when we debate about these things. I say, listen, the far left and the far right, you know where they both end? In the same place. They end with millions of people dead, with people slaves to a system. You know why? Because people weren't meant for centralized living. They weren't meant to be lorded over. They were meant to be free, free from centralized power. They were meant to, to rule themselves, right? To, to have their own governments, not to be managed by some huge government run by some people that you're never going to meet, that if you send them an email or call their office, they're never going to get back to you because they don't know you and they don't care to. But you know what? If you call your city council member locally, there's a decent chance that they're going to get back to you or that they're going to see you at the grocery store. That you're going to know someone that knows them. That's how we were supposed to be ruled. That's how we were supposed to be lorded. And that's the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. And instead, what we're, done, what, we're, what we're seeing is we're seeing not just people off in Washington, D.C. dictating how we're going to live our lives, but we're seeing bureaucrats who aren't even elected deciding how we're going to run our lives and how they're going to rule our lives. And I'll leave you with this. I'm, I'm rambling a little, but this is what I'll end on. We got some good news. And the good news is, well, we got, always got good news. One is God's in control. None of this is a surprise to him. That's the first thing. Second thing is, because the first thing is true, I believe it's true. The second thing is, so we don't have to worry about how the outcome works out, because that's up to him. The third thing is, in America right now, we have some proof that federalism, which is decentralization of power, is working. Why? Because if you look at the states that have the highest growth, many of them are the most free. And what that's showing is that there are still a lot of people in America who want freedom, liberty, and justice for all. Those are also the states that are not just the most free, but they also have the most justice in the sense that they still actually, for the most part, enact and adhere to the law, right? Whereas you go to states like the one I live in, which is still growing. There's a lot of tech business here, but let's say you go to California. Let's say you go to New York, where those situations are a little bit different. Well, why are people leaving? There's a lot of reasons. But a lot of the people that are leaving 
are leaving to go somewhere that's more free. And my point is, is that we can see that federalism works. We can see that people are voting with their feet and with their dollars. And if we can continue that trend and we can continue to stand up and fight for what we believe in, we can, I think, continue to change things for the better. So with that, I really appreciate you being here, checking out this, this episode. I'm excited to be doing this more often. I'm excited to be turning the page, uh, closing the, the book or the chapter, this last chapter of my life, building the house. Man, I'm, I'm sure if you've ever done it, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and it took a long time and this uh, pandemic didn't help things. But I love doing these and I'm excited to do them in the future. I hope that you'll continue to watch. I, I really do. And, and if you like these and if they're encouraging to you or challenging, one thing that would be super helpful is I'm only at like 90 subscribers. You know, hey, it is what it is on YouTube. I need to get to 100 so I can actually have a real name so the URL doesn't have this really long, weird string at the end, but it can just have a name. And so if you would subscribe to YouTube, uh, my channel, to get me over that 100 subscribers so I can get a name, that would be awesome and helpful. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you could leave a positive comment, if you're checking this out or listening to this on a podcast platform, that helps in the, in the algorithm, helps this message get out to more people. And always, if you have the courage and you found it worthwhile, if you would share this, because sharing information, whether it's this or someone else you listen to, is how we get the message out. It's how we make a difference. It's how you, even if you don't feel that you can articulate something the right way or that you're comfortable articulating something the right way, you can share when you hear someone else who you thought did a good job of articulating the very same thing or things that you think and feel. If you can share it, that's how you get the message out, even if you're not the one proclaiming the message. So again, thanks for checking out this episode. I'm excited to see you hopefully next week. See you then.